Hello and welcome to Not A Buffalo, the show where we discuss the science and technology that will save the world. My name's Ben and I'm wondering if I could pass off as female so I can go to space. This is Jack and he's going to practice brushwork so he can go into space. Jack, how are you? I'm good. What am I, what am I brushing? Uh, canvas, I presume. Or, or maybe you're a sculpture. Um, you just have, I just figured you'd want to practice your artistry in general. Yeah, like, that's like the slowest way to sculpt though, isn't it? Just to like brush. <laughs> like that's i i imagine there is somebody doing this possibly several people it's only one person though and they're still the first one to do it but they've been going for about 37 years <laughs> yeah in a in their bid to be the first person to to have done it in the past tense <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so you you may have heard of a guy called elon musk he wants to basically use his company spacex to do to start space tourism using the next generation starship mm. rocket or oh, the sorry the rocket is called starship and he's sold the first the, the place on what will be the first um tourist trip to the moon so doing a, an orbit around the moon to a japanese billionaire and i'm going to double get i'm going to get this right cuz slight slight sidebar um Japan, the Japanese Prime Minister made a pronouncement in January that they want Western media to stop applying Western naming conventions to Japanese names. So apparently the Prime Minister what, that, in, that the Western media is often called, uh, you know, in Japan they put the family name first and then the person's yeah. own name second. So uh-huh. the Prime Minister is called Abe Shinzo uh, in Japan, but in yeah. typically Western media would call him Shinzo Abe. So that Westerners know, oh, Abe is is his family name. So I did typically not know that they reversed those. That's really interesting, because I knew about the convention. I didn't know that the media reversed it. Yeah, and I'll, with a lot of Japanese names as well, uh, I wouldn't know which one is the first name, which is probably r- really bad. Yeah. But um, so for this guy, it looks like so. I've I've double checked his name. Don't think the article. The article is from last year, so I don't think they've. Oh no, it is from this year. Sorry, I'm not sure if they've done it yet. So I think his name correctly in in Japanese is Mezawa Yusaku, but the Western media, I think they're still putting it down as Yusaku Mezawa. So I, I think it's meant to be Mezawa Yusaku, and I'm trying You're to respect. Very brave to be pronouncing this name this many times. <laughs> uh, so the Japanese billionaire um, is a guy. So he, he's the first prospective rider. He's put down the deposit and everything. Mm. But he actually bought um, eight seats on this rocket. And he <laughs> he originally said like, he's going to take eight artists. So it can be these are going to be the first artists up in space who are going to obviously be able to take ah, pictures or okay. whatever of the moon uh, and then of the, the view of Earth as well. And then they're going to translate those into... Um, he hasn't really specified what kind of artists, I don't think. So whether it's photographers or, or um, you know, painters or sculptors or you know digital medium artists or whatever. But the, the new story I'm looking at is that he's also decided to put up a basically a Lonely Hearts ad. And in it, as he's saying he wants to find a female partner to fly around the moon with him. And he says, this isn't just someone who he wants to go on the trip as a bit of a fling and it's not someone he wants as a friend. He wants this to basically be his long-term love interest and she has to be over the age of 20, have a bright personality, want world peace and also have to be interested in going to space. That is a high-stakes dating game. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine putting that much money into a first date. 
Oh no, not a not a first date. Uh, well, I don't think it specifies. Okay, he doesn't specify it as a first date, but he wants someone who will go on the rocket ship with him. But the like the, the, this trip won't be happening. The rocket ship hasn't even been built yet. I don't think. So I think uh-huh. it's due to happen sometime in the early twenty twenties. Um, I think maybe in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. But he's not actually. It, it's not certain yet. So you know he's giving himself plenty of time to meet the person, get to know them. Uh, you know, ensure that this is a long-term love interest and that she really does want world peace. Uh, but then she'll obviously, because I, I presume he'll have to do a little bit of training at least before he goes on the the spaceship, even though it is a tourist ship. Yeah, he'll uh, be prepared for it. So presumably she, this woman will as well. Um, and yeah, as I said in the intro, I might try and pass myself off as a woman just to try and go to space. I think it'd be worth it. Although I have grown a beard again, so it might be really difficult. <laughs> ah, have you also shaved your head? I haven't, not not fully. I've trimmed it down a bit, but I haven't shaved my head. Ah, okay. <laughs> you sound really disappointed. I just think beard and baldness would suit you. I genuinely do. I I might do. You know what? When the beard's grown out a bit a bit more, yeah. just a bit fuller, then maybe I, maybe I will. I've got um I got a beard and hair trimming set for Christmas, which is quite good. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I can I can kind of do what I want. I definitely won't need to go to the the hairdressers now. Yeah, uh, again, which is nice save me a little bit of money every month or so but yeah the, and this uh this mezawa yusaku guy is a little bit eccentric so he also where is it they definitely mentioned this article so he basically put out a tweet that said he will randomly share 10th uh what was it like a million yen or billion yen or something between 10 people who retweet his tweet and it's now the most retweeted tweet in history uh i stop <laughs> saying the word tweet uh, but he did it just cause, like he didn't seem to have a purpose to it, other than that he wanted the most re- retweeted tweet. It sounds like he's bored. Yeah, he he's only forty four. He founded a company, Zozo Town, which is mm. Japan's uh, biggest. I think it's Japan's uh, Amazon, essentially. And uh, yeah, he's oh, worth. Okay, he's worth a couple of billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and he's only forty four. I don't think he's just yeah. Why not? Let's let's do it. Sorry, he was split a billion yen between a random group of a thousand people who retweeted the tweet. Pretty good. I know a hundred thousand. No, what would that be? That'd be a million yen each, which isn't a huge amount. Oh, well, it's not as much as a million dollars is, but that's still pretty good. We could expand the Japanese market with a million yen. <laughs> I'm not. See, we could, but I'm not sure how far that would really go, because. <laughs> It's something like one yen is worth 0.8 euro cents, I believe. Let's have a look. It's it's something around that, 0.8, 0.8. Yeah, you're, you're right. A, a million yen is about 8,000 euros. Yeah, exactly. Can I say, internal exchange rate there, I'm quite happy with knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really impressive. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 literally it's at the moment it's it's about 0.82 euro cents. Ah. Awesome. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I suppose just to any of our listeners if you are an artist or if you're a uh, a woman with a great interest in space and wouldn't mind meeting a billionaire who's a little bit eccentric, then uh look him up, uh, Mizawa Yusaku. And again, I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly or got the name the wrong way around, but I tried. I'm sure I'm sure he'll be okay with it, you know. I mean he's he he seems like a man who's got stuff figured out. <laughs> I'd say so. So anyway, that that was kind of the introduction and my first story. That's nice, yeah. So what about you, Jack? What's your first story for us? First okay. story of the decade. You've got to make what's it a good my one. First, what's my first segue of the decade? Um, <laughs> yes. that's the that's the real question here, isn't it? 
Did you do a story about people's ability to remember the conversion rates from yen to euros? Because that'd be really timely and coincidental. That's the, that's the story I've been working on for the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> people's capacity to, to remember, I suppose, random numbers. I think we're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were just trying to buy a time while you buy some time while you come up with a segue. No, I no that uh, you you mistake me for somebody who's who's trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I really want to hear in my podcasting co-host. Hey, I suppose I suppose there's sort of a seeing the future element to this story, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So. In an attempt to make uh, cuttlefish see something that's not the future, scientists made them uh, wear 3D glasses. <laughs> I, well, I can't wait to hear this. So they put 3D glasses on cuttlefish. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is science. This is hard science. Um, <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> the <laughs> what what they wanted to find out is whether cuttlefish process visual images in the same way that a lot of vertebrates do, because the cuttlefish is a I mean, cuttlefish do a lot of interesting stuff anyway, but they wanted to see whether they see in stereopsis, which is the perception of depth produced by the reception in the brain of visual stimuli from both eyes in combination. Okay. Binocular vision, I suppose. Oh is yes, a, yeah. Okay. Is what you might call it. But they were like, you know, does do they see that way? And it turns out that they do. So what they did is they positioned um, some shrimps on a film and the position of the shrimp would change depending on or be camouflage depending on whether the glasses were on or off the cuttlefish and so they played this film with it on with it off to several cuttlefish and from their reactions because this is a this is something that's built into their their nature as predators hmm. because depth perception is kind of important like cuttlefish are cool and all but they've got tiny arms <laughs> and they if, have arms at all yeah i mean i suppose you might call them legs but yeah, they're the things that they grab their prey with. Oh, wow, okay. So using those, they they would grab for somewhere which indicated that they were processing the images stereoscopically, which I, I thought was really cool. And it's a really, it's a really simple and elegant non-invasive experiment as well. You know, you don't have to harm any creatures apart from a few shrimps. <laughs> and you can do that on film. That was my, uh, my first story. I, I have to admit something. I was thinking... The image I had in my head when you said cuttlefish was of catfish, not cuttlefish. I've just Googled it. It's like, oh, yes, that's a cuttlefish. Yeah. Now I remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> and so I suppose the really important question is, did the cuttlefish have popcorn or minstrels? Or, I mean, what was their kind of snack of choice during these films? Um, Their their snack was the uh, the victims of the films, the shrimps. Oh, right. <laughs> that's really morbid, just eating the people you're watching on the film yeah i have you haven't you ever wondered what nicholas cage tastes like not really actually yeah me neither <laughs> <laughs> that's a really cool story though but i mean did they have a purpose behind trying to get the uh, or trying to figure out the stereoscopic vision is just to understand i mean they just like they like cuttlefish don't they scientists it just seems to be one of those mm. things that scientists like messing around with sorry yeah. studying yeah same thing, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the main purpose behind this was to figure out if binocular vision is a feature of non-vertebrates, or to use the actual word, invertebrates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so to, to figure out if it's, is it entirely restricted to stuff like the great apes? And also, the other thing about cuttlefish is they're, they're about as close to alien intelligence as you can get 
you know, along with squids and octopus. Because they're very smart, but they live in a completely different environment to us. Yeah, their bodily structures are very different from us or from dolphins, for example. Like okay. you know, we're we're rigid beings with a with a central spine, and you know, for example, octopuses are just their goo essentially, <laughs> goo and tentacles. They don't have <laughs> they don't have bones. It's a nice way of describing them. Yeah, and that incidentally is what I think we should call our new podcast: Goo and Tentacles. Goo and Tentacles. Goo and Tentacles, where we discuss serious serious nonfiction literature about the logistics industry. <laughs> I like my I like podcasts to have unrelated names to their content. That's my theme. I mean, what are we going to do about Not a Buffalo then? Because I mean, basically, it's... we never talk about Buffalo. It, it couldn't be more relevant. That is a good point, and I wish at this stage that I had a story to segue into about Buffalo. Do you have a story about Buffalo, Ben? I don't, but we humans may actually be getting more like cuttlefish and other cephalopods than you might imagine. I really thought you were going to go with more like Buffalo then. well actually i don't know i don't know how hot buffalo are so maybe we are becoming more like buffalo how hot buffalo are yeah this is actually it's not really uh it's not really one i wanted to cover it's one i came across and just thought oh that's kind of interesting Uh is that the average human body temperature uh which in anywhere that doesn't use the imperial system is 37 degrees (laughs) centigrade (laughs) is completely wrong shout out there to north korea (laughs) and the usa (laughs) <laughs> and Liberia. I think Liberia still use. Oh, well done them. I spent ages over Christmas playing Capitals quizzes. Genuinely, ask me any country in the world, I can probably tell you the capital now. It's kind of sad. Liechtenstein? Vaduz. Wow. This is. Oh, man. Should we just do this for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> the countries I really struggle with, though, are the, the Pacific Islands, like Vanuatu and Tonga. Java? And... Java isn't a country, it's in Indonesia, whose capital is Jakarta. Ah, oh. wow! This is great. <laughs> oh, oh man! Can we do? Do you also know all the state capitals? Not the state capitals, no. Okay. I mean, uh, someone pointed out. I mean, why? Why should I, as uh, an Irish person, the capital of Kazakhstan is Nur Sultan? This is great. Sorry, you. Someone pointed out to you. <laughs> like, why should we know the anything about the U.S. states? It's not like they know, for example what the counties in england are like they know london and that's kind of it most of the time or it's kind of weird just knowing parts of another country i honestly couldn't tell you any of the states in germany apart from maybe i think berlin is a state in and of itself it's a city state and that's about the only one i know i think i think hamburg is as well yeah yeah both of those are city states yeah uh but apart from that and that's probably a lot more relevant to me than the u.s states um i'm more likely to go to germany than i am to the u.s yeah i mean i think it's quite useful to have like a rough idea of u.s geography anyway oh i I did i did the u.s states quiz as well so i can i went through and named and identified all of the u.s states and eventually got 50 out of 50 so yeah i did that as well i'm glad you've been productive over christmas because i haven't (laughs) productive i mean you're stretching the definition of productive there yeah i am ivory coast uh old Cote d'Ivoire is Yamasukro. Cameroon? Yaoundé. I have no idea if any of your answers are correct, but this is great fun. <laughs> I thought you'd looked it up or Googled it or something. No, I'm just I'm just coming up with countries that I, are in my head. I might just make up words then. <laughs> I can't remember them, you're not going to know. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the end of our new podcast. That was going to be the entire podcast, just discussing logistics manuals and then randomly trying to see if I can remember the capitals of certain countries. Exactly. This could work. Uh, yeah. It'd be a niche target audience, but we could make it work. 
I'm imagining that the country's one is actually it's a separate podcast where uh, which is called Narrate Your Software Manual. <laughs> of course it is, because yeah, I, I see. Going with the whole theme there. Got to have a theme. <laughs> anyway, I was giving I was I was talking about a science story at some point. Um, Were you? I didn't from a distant past. <laughs> yeah, just uh, human. Uh, human beings have actually been getting cooler. The average body temperature is about 36.6 degrees now, not 37 degrees. And the temperature has been falling by about 0.03 degrees every decade since the 1860s, uh, which is when we started measuring temperature accurately with good thermometers. And the reason they th- they think the reason is basically that humans are a bit healthier. So our immune systems are less active and our body tissues get less inflamed. So we're just a little bit cooler than we used to be. Is it humans like everywhere? Or is it humans in a specific population? They've used it, the American body temperature as an average, which is ironic because they use the uh, the non-imperial. What, what's it called? The metric system. Jesus. <laughs> um, I am shocked, man. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I'm like, shocked. I, I don't even think of it as the metric system. It's just the correct system. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> the word. It's like the, there's the imperial system, which is wrong. And then there's the other one, which is just the one you should be using. So it's like, I can't even think yeah. of what it's called. Cause it's just the correct <laughs> system. You know, if we, if we just changed its name to that, I think we'd have more <laughs> luck selling it. <laughs> just forcing Americans to say yes sir and in the correct system <laughs> the answer is I'm not sure if we've ever had a listener yell at their phone or their, their listening device after something we've said but I'm pretty sure we got, we'll, we'll get someone with that comment I think I bet we I bet we make people yell at their phones hopefully enjoy but yeah. maybe occasionally in frustration I would imagine it passes all those standard emotional responses and it becomes a sort of full spectrum of you know happiness through to rage yeah <laughs> it's that kind of it's that kind of thing it's only a little bit of every single emotion it's the same way you get you use every color and you get white it's that kind of thing yeah <laughs> pure emotion with no discernible individual one in there but anyway uh that so that was a, a random story um one that I just kind of came across that thought was slightly interesting not exactly a, a good news story but uh, do you have any do you have any another story for us I mean, I've got something that could be a good news story. Converting over to human beings might be a little bit unethical at the moment. Okay. Some scientists have they found a mechanism in worms that extends their lifespans by 500%. Wow. So how, how does this work? It's Do we know? Basically, it's a tweak to the genetic, their genetic code. And this very minor change affects uh, something called the TOR pathway. That's T-O-R. And the I and a thing called the IIS, which is an insulin signaling pathway, and that's the thing they're actually that's the thing they're actually altering. So just by tweaking that, they can uh, they can change the length of their lifespan. But it's, what's odd is it's just it's a sort of switch. So they just add they just like change the amount of insulin by a tiny bit, and then you get a uh, you get a thirty percent increase in um, in lifespan. So they sort of pushed this to its its conclusion, and they found you can get five hundred percent extra life out of a worm, which is kind of amazing. That is, but th- the fact that it's a switch kind of makes me think: should we have flicked that switch? Because it kind of seems like oh, definitely not. It, it just reminds <laughs> me of a cartoon and of like you know they probably shouldn't have pressed that button or they definitely shouldn't have opened that door or something. Because now maybe worms just needed that extra you know five hundred percent lifespan in order to develop the intelligence to create nuclear weapons or something. Oh yeah, and that's probably that's probably where this goes. Uh, this is still a pretty preliminary finding, but I mean it's at the same time they only live for for two or three weeks, so you know increasing that 
by 500% isn't that bad. You know, that takes you to like 12 weeks. But if they, presumably that gives them, I mean, I don't know how much they reproduce in a single lifetime, but if they reproduce once and suddenly you're making them reproduce, the ability to reproduce five times and we could quickly become overwhelmed by a worm explosion. And that is why you never release your worms. (laughs) That's why you never release your lab experiments. That's a good point to all our listeners out there. If you've ever (laughs) messed with any kind of animal in the lab, do not release it. Yeah. If you've actually learnt science from not a buffalo and you're now just starting out on that scientific career, you might need to go back to school. We're not a good source. But also, you'll be an incredibly well-rounded scientist because I'm pretty sure we cover biology, chemistry, physics, technology, engineering. You know, we, we cover a big range. So if you've learned all your science from us, then you're going to be very well-rounded, albeit not have a lot of depth into any of those particular fields. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. We are great. I always forget this. But I actually do have a segue because, you know, one thing... How? One living <laughs> thing that we are releasing from the lab into the into the world that maybe we shouldn't... Oh, is this the mosquitoes? No, it's it's not quite that interesting. I find okay. it really interesting, actually. This is something I've been following since I went to university and actually first learned about it. But golden rice has gotten landmark safety approval in the Philippines. Oh, fantastic. Are, are you familiar with golden rice? Yeah, the um, incredibly nutritious GMO. Yeah, exactly. So it's a genetically modified organism. Um, it's a type of rice that gets its name because it's kind of yellow in colour instead of white in colour. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, it's got a lot more vitamin A in it. And countries like the Philippines and Bangladesh have a lot of people, um, a lot of children under five years old, um, who have that serious vitamin A deficiency um, mm. because their diet is largely consists of, of rice and, um, and other poorly nutritious things, which means that they don't get um, a lot of vitamin A and that uh, can lead to some really serious health implement, um, implications including uh, often blindness uh, which is obviously terrible and golden mm. rice is uh, potentially a way to change that so it's been altered to produce the orange pigment beta carotene um, so basically it's, it's got carrot genes in it which allow it to to produce vitamin a and could therefore help combat this vitamin a deficiency which is great news in one way but one thing i want to kind of caveat with this or, or highlight i suppose is that greenpeace has long campaigned against golden rice they don't they don't like it and i had a look at some of their i had a basically a look at their their own research or their own uh, kind of viewpoints on it and a lot of them i'll be honest i didn't buy but for the sake of uh, for the sake of uh, i suppose argument I'll, they say for one thing, it's untested and we don't know the long-term implications of it. So it could easily, mm. if it does get, you know, if normal rice gets cross-contaminated with it, then we don't know what kind of Frankenstein hybrid rice this could create that could severely damage ecosystems. Or we don't know if the, the golden rice could mutate or something like that. That's true. Um, which I think is, is true and is a, is a good point, but also a little bit, it's highly unlikely that if golden rice crosses with normal rice that we're suddenly going to get a cancerous bubonic plague kind of epidemic happening from it or anything like that the ramifications could be serious i guess but it's it's highly highly unlikely i mean it's it's unknown though isn't it that's the thing and it's also something that once it's in an ecosystem it'd be quite hard to take out that's i think that's the real concern there isn't that right yeah that that absolutely is and i, I suppose trying to read a lot of the balances i've still always come down on the side of the gmo because i think for something like that i think to have fewer people starving is good that's my that's really my only thought on it i don't have i don't have particularly strong views on it i just think to avoid like the first the first concern for me is always making sure people are safe and fed and to reduce the amount of like the point of science is to reduce the amount of suffering in the world and i think golden rice does that 
and then also to make sure that we don't destroy the planet anymore. It's a it's a tightrope, but yeah, I sort of I do come down on the side of of GMOs in general because of that. Yeah, no, I I'd, I'd agree, and um, mm. it'll definitely be interesting to see how they they go forward because a lot of GMOs, you know, even in the um the, the developing world as well, they could be uh, you know things like meatless meats, um, uh, genetically modified uh, ingredients that could allow us to make you know the the perfect beef burger substitute that tastes exactly like a beef burger, but you know has no impact on the climate whatsoever because it is um, all uh, plant based, sustainably made um, ingredients. So I think there's they're definitely a technology we should be exploring but appreciate there are uh, a lot of a lot of risks there potentially but i mean you know the problem with meatless meat don't you what is it's not meat i personally am perfectly happy to eat a vegetarian diet if that saves the planet i'm more than happy to do that because i like vegetables (laughs) but you're always going to have a very i think quite a large and very vocal part of the population who feel that if it's if it isn't meat then somehow that's, you know, you're being cheated out of something. I think it's almost impossible that that will reach a, each a sensible, like, resolution in our lifetimes. I don't know. I've, I'd be a little bit more optimistic than that, actually. Yeah. I'd say enough people... I think you could convince... I think there are there is a core of people who will always be like, no, you know, you, you are never going to be able to make... Uh, the equivalent of a fantastic you know fillet steak or wagyu beef or whatever and there will be some people who are you know very much there they could be uh, food critics or restaurateurs or, or chefs or whatever who will feel like the way or there could be a core of people who's like no beef is you're never going to get the taste of beef I, I don't want you to take this away from me and there will be people who are just kind of so stuck in their ways um, i don't like think that. it's the taste i don't think it's the, i think it's just the label i think it's just the labeling thing yeah, no, I completely agree. I think there are people who know beef is beef and this is my beef and this is what I grew up with and, you know, I enjoy it and it's good for me and you can't take it away from me to give me this kind of processed lab-grown whatever. I think there will always be a core of people like that, but I think if you can solve the taste issue and the texture issue and just make it as, like, a lot of the Beyond Burgers and Ultimate Burgers and whatever it is there there is out there now, um, a lot of them are good enough that I think you will get... The majority of people will understand the consequences of eating meat and they will be happy to substitute those things into their diet even if they do still want to have the odd proper steak or proper burger or, or whatever mm-hmm. so maybe it won't be eradicated completely but um in our lifetimes but i can definitely see the majority of people switching over to being like yeah i'm, I'm happy to substitute these out for you know 90 percent of uh, my, my diet and you know save the the proper thing for a special occasion okay but who who knows we'll see and, and I'm like you as well. Like I, I enjoy vegetarian and completely plant-based food as well and trying to eat more of it because I enjoy it. And it's good. Yeah. Good for the planet. So yeah, that was my, my next story. Um, so overall, we could be solving vitamin A deficiency and stopping children going blind in uh, in the Philippines and Bangladesh and other places. So that's uh, overall yeah. a good news story. I think that's a fantastic news story. Yeah. That, that's an absolutely fantastic news story. What's your next story, Jack? I don't have a next story. <laughs> <laughs> That's my that's my next story. Is I my big reveal um, is that I had two stories for this round. Do you have a third one? Because I bet I, I always assume you have like twenty. Yes, I actually do have an MDM amazing story. Oh really? <laughs> yes. So, really, so... Mister Beans on Toast. <laughs> uh, if any of the listeners aren't aware of what we're talking about, look up the song MDM Amazing by Beans on Toast. Uh, Jack and I are both a big fan. He's a fantastic musician. 
who had it one year one year before Ben Ben promotes drugs on the podcast. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> hear, hear the story out. So um, MDMA, as the kids are used to call it back in the nineties dance halls, they called it ecstasy. I understand. I, I was not <laughs> one of those those ravers, as I believe. Hey, Dad. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, you know it's it was a it was a party drug essentially gave you feelings of euphoria and also a big affection for others. But they've actually found that it's a really promising therapeutic tool, and it's been under investigation for a while as a potential treatment for depression, for post traumatic stress disorder, um, and it's in late stage clinical trials for that. Um, huh. So it's uh, you know they they found this could really treat some serious mental health um, issues, which we're obviously becoming more and more aware about um, in the world, and we're finding. You know things like this uh, could be really useful, but it could also even you know help with social anxiety um, in individuals, particularly those with on the autism spectrum as well. So there's some really interesting uh, potential applications of it when it's done correctly, and obviously the uh, you know it, it's made sure that it's from a high quality and uh, is administered correctly and, and in the correct dosages and everything. One of the problems though is that it is addictive, or it can potentially be addictive, particularly because it gives you those feelings of of euphoria, so it gives you a big dopamine hit. I think. Mm. Um, but a, a researcher called Robert Malenka, who is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University, has done a study in mice that's found that the the thing that causes addiction is controlled by distinct pathways in the brain to the, the what they call the social... What is the addictive mechanism in MDMA? MDMA stimulates the release of both serotonin and dopamine um, in the brain. And the addictive potential is linked to the dopamine so basically you get that dopamine hit and then the brain wants more and more that dopamine it's Mm. why you know we crave chocolate and and you know high facebook and facebook yeah because it gives us those dopamine hits and things like that but what they they think they found is that um, they've studied in mice and they've realized that the the pathways are distinct so the serotonin which can provide the benefits of um you know the, the treatment benefits the mental health benefits mm. is distinct to the pathway that releases the dopamine or they think they can they can engineer the mdma that it doesn't give mm. you the dopamine hit so they can remove the addictive quality of it so you just get the benefits of it so how how do you go about doing that is it something like a, do you reformulate the the drug itself or would you be looking at like counterbalancing the dopamine with something else? Like, I, d- I don't know if that's possible. The way they um, they do it is that you'd get you get a combination of you get a second drug that would block the uptake. Um, sorry, that would block that pathway. Um, is how right. they, they wouldn't reformulate the MDMA, so they'd have a second drug okay. that would block that specific impact of it, um, whilst you still get the impact. Um, there's another professor, uh, uh, Matthias Lichter. In, who's a professor of clinical pharmacology That's at the University of Basel. great name. Basel. <laughs> yeah. I love... Is that German? That sounds German. Swiss. Ah, almost. <laughs> and yeah, he's also been having a look into this as well, and uh, his findings kind of parallel... He, he did it first, sorry. So the, this new study kind of parallels what he found um, mm. as well. But again, just using mice. But it could, um, you know, down the line, it could potentially lead to something really interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. But that's yeah. it. That is, that is all my stories. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the show to never miss an episode and rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. If you'd like to get in touch, we are at NotABuffaloPod on Twitter, NotABuffaloPodcast on Facebook, or contact us through the website, notabuffalo.wordpress.com. Bye.